Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No. These are the other stories. <laughs> the Scritch. Written by Luke Condor. Narrated by Harry Dobby. It didn't blink the eye. Not like a human's. Silky flaps of skin hugged it without ever fully closing without ever covering that giant pupil that was big and dark enough that it might open up, inhale, and breathe her in. What little starlight found its way into the bedroom glistened against its moist surface, the unseen tentacles around it slickening against one another, and the smell that reminded her of that school caving trip in North Wales. Danielle Hunt squeezed the weapon in her hand, She winced at the splinter of wood that worked its way into her palm, but kept her gaze firmly on its twitching one eye. She kept herself locked onto the piece of shit who'd broken her home, her family, on the scritch. Why do you call it the scritch? A question she'd asked her brother all those years ago. That's the noise it makes, Thomas said flatly. Don't you hear it? It comes in the night through a... uh, There's a hole in the floor beneath my bed, and it, the thing, it makes this noise that's like... And here Thomas looked at her, his face pallid and without trace of a smile. Sucker-rich, sucker-rich, sucker-rich. 
He quickened with each repetition, his stare growing more vacant, as if he were losing himself in the images replaying in his mind. The laughing audience of family fortunes blaring from the TV behind them did nothing to break his drone. Don't, Thomas, Danielle said from the living room sofa, the cheerful chirping of the TV host behind her. Our survey said, Please, Thomas, please, I don't like it. Sucker-rich, sucker-rich. I'm sorry, that's incorrect, the TV host said. I don't like ghosties, Danielle said. Scritch, Thomas said. Scritch, scritch, scritch. Ghosties was the name Danielle gave to everything back then. Everything that could be described as scary. Whether it was demons, zombies, mutants, Casper, or even her uncle, Terence. Though she only ever came into contact with him and his pocked face and tobacco-stained teeth at Christmas time, so he was a mere seasonal concern. Ghosties, though. A ludicrous name. But who could blame her for such a childish word? She was only six at the time. And she only knew that through a simple calculation. Thomas's age minus four equals her age. And he was sure as hell ten at that time. She knew that for sure. His birthday cake still lingered in the fridge with the Captain America icing and the number ten candles impaled into its top. The tips half melted from where they dimmed the lights and all sang happy birthday. Danielle, Thomas, her dad, and even her mum. Was that the last time her mother smiled? Maybe it was then. Maybe she smiled afterwards. If she did, she'd done a great job at hiding it. Sucritch, Thomas continued now, walking towards her, eyes wide and red, lip quivering. Sucritch, scritch, scritch, scritch. No, please, Mum! Danielle's caterwauling drew their mother from the kitchen, wet marigolds still in her hands, and she instantly scolded Thomas. Well, she did until she saw just how broken her son was. A ghosty in himself. Dark bags under his eyes, forehead clammy with sweat. And if Danielle was seeing right, she was sure there was a small patch just above his left ear where the pale scalp showed right through. Like he'd scratched away at it, or as if something had ripped the hair right out of him. Jesus, Thomas, their mother said. You look like death warmed up. She whipped off the yellow gloves and pressed the back of her hand to his head. You're sure as hell not going to school tomorrow, Tom. No way, Jose. He said nothing as she picked him up and lugged him off to bed, his eyes wide and scared and looking to her for help as he disappeared into his bedroom. The last glimpse of her brother was one of resignation, as if he'd come to accept whatever fate had been given to him as the door closed and locked him away. The jokey Do Not Enter sticker warning her in big, red, bold letters. Do. Not. Enter. And that was the last time she ever saw her big brother. Sure. Her mother emerged half an hour later and put little Danielle to bed, brushed her teeth, combed her hair and tucked her in, but there was no mention of Thomas and no noise from his bedroom until much later, deep into the night. He screamed at one moment, and then he stopped. Like a loudspeaker cable yanked from a microphone, an airlock sealing shut, 
a curious case of a missing boy in the night. And even from across the landing and behind Danielle's closed bedroom door, from beneath her covers, she immediately knew. It was the scritch that got him. It was the scritch. What followed was a childhood-scarring period of about two years of fights and tears, blame thrown so hard it shattered the living room mirror and forced her mother right out of the house and into her sister's. I can't take their eyes, she screamed before she left, standing at the door in her brown mac and big goofy woolly hat. The neighbours, Raj from the corner shop, even the fucking paper boy, they judge, you know, they think we did something. Maybe you did, her dad said from the stairs, the bottle of beer still in his hand, the sweat from the day at the factory still staining his vest top. Maybe you did. Danielle didn't think her dad meant what her mother took it to mean, but the words were strong enough to shove her right outside, slam the door behind her, and to sever whatever fragile tendril of love remained. By the time Danielle reached her ninth birthday, her family was down to two. The hunts of number 11, Downside Drive, weren't the family they once were. What warmth remained had long since filtered out through the walls and into the ether. Laughter was as sparse and as fleeting as her father's hairline. He went to work, Danielle went to school. He came home, she came home. They ate dinner and watched evening TV until he fell asleep on the sofa balancing a half-full bottle of beer in his hand and she went upstairs to bed. She combed her own hair now, brushed her own teeth, read her own bedtime stories. Days and days of the same old thing. But that was okay. The monotony helped the time to pass. Each hour rolling into the other, each day blending into a patchwork of greys with no distinguishing features whatsoever. She had a theory, and the quicker she could prove or disprove the theory, the better. Dad, I'm going to move into the big bedroom, she told him on one such grey tile of an afternoon. They were sat in the dark of the living room once again, she ate turkey dinosaurs and he drank lager with a name she couldn't pronounce. She ripped the head off one of the breaded T-Rexes and he licked the froth from the tip of his bottle. He swallowed it. It was so quiet she heard the liquid land in the pit of his stomach, its bilious fizzing as it settled. In Thomas's room, he said finally. She nodded. After swallowing another big mouthful of beer, he wiped his moustache and nodded. I guess, he said. But... Can we wait? For what? For your birthday. You'll be ten this year, and I think, if anything, it would be fitting to wait until then. She nodded, finished her orange squash, and then stood up to take her pots to the kitchen sink. Oh, and Dad, she said just before disappearing... I know what I want for my birthday. Yeah? He said with a forced smile, his deep brow lines fat and dark in this low light, his distended belly doing its best to escape his shirt and open belt buckle. What's that, love? The gift wasn't even wrapped. It came in the plastic supermarket carrier bag. There was no card, no cake, and no mother. And yet she couldn't help but feel the anxiety building in her chest, the blood quickening, her hands shaking. Never had the difference between then and now been more apparent. 
their lives had been so radically altered by what lay up the stairs. So, with a quick peck on the lips, she said thanks to her father and went to her bedroom. A new bedroom. The one that warned her in the same block-red capitals. Do not enter. It wasn't like she'd never stepped foot in the room, but it was still disconcerting to see how well preserved it was. Like the place had been hermetically sealed, encased in amber, waiting for this one moment. The same photos of Thomas in his Sunday football kit, propped up on their father's lap, smiling for the camera. The same trophy on the side from when they used to go ten-pin bowling. The same damn Manchester United bedsheets. She slowly unwrapped her present from the bag and removed the bat. It was exactly as she requested. It was solid and sturdy. She felt the weight of it in her hands, the top end delightfully violent. The handle fit perfectly in her grasp. Thanks, Dad, she said with a smile, her voice quivering as a splinter of wood stuck in her palm. She sucked on it, but it was in deep. She continued to suckle until the sun in the window turned orange and burned through the trees, spiking her eyes, before setting completely and enveloping her and the bedroom in darkness. And she waited. And waited. Waited. Until the beneath of the bed turned into a thick veil of inky black, until the single eye, big and sweaty, looked at her and with it the creature brought the noise, the same one that Thomas had told her about all that time ago. Succourage, succourage, succourage. She stood, lifted the bat in the air, and waited. A second later and the tentacles began outwards, snaking their way across the carpeted floor. With a scream and a swing, she smacked the bat against the first. It made a conk noise as it retreated back under the bed. Succourage. And then the second tentacle emerged. Again, Danielle grunted and slammed the bat down, planting her foot against the tentacle and beating down on it again and again. Unseen teeth reached up and wrapped around her leg and she squealed as it sucked on her. No! She said aloud, furiously bashing the bat down and against it. Eventually, it gave way and repeated once more, all of it now climbing back beneath the bed. Danielle squinted, looked at the circular wounds on her leg and thought of Thomas's hair. The missing patch. Her eyes adjusted as she saw the scritch disappear into a circular hole beneath the bed, the doorway to the scritch's world shimmering like a gas leak. She gripped hold of the bat, winced at the pain of the splinter in her palm and her leg, before taking a step forward. Dropping to her knees, she looked beneath the bed, reached forward, grabbed hold of the edges of the portal, and clambered inside. The cold, muddied walls covered her body as she writhed inside, screaming as she slipped into the world beneath, still clutching her weapon, screaming for vengeance, screaming for her missing brother, and screaming for her family. She didn't know where she was heading, but she understood one thing. She wasn't leaving without Thomas, dead or alive. 
And she sure as hell wasn't leaving without taking the Scritch's fucking eye out. enjoyed this episode of The Other Stories. The Scritch was written by Luke Condor, narrated by Harry Dobby, edited by Carl Hughes, with music by Mikhail TBS and Tom Robson. So how do you feel about the end of the world? Well, we've just released a post-apocalyptic novel called They Rot, and it's written by two of your regular Other Story writers, Luke Condor, myself, and Daniel Wilcox. It's about a man and his dog trying to make a life in a world gone to hell. If I had to describe it, I'd call it a cross between The Last of Us and The Thing. If that sounds like your cup of tea, then head over to Amazon and search for They Rot. Also, if you're a patron, you will get this book as part of your patronage. So if you'd like to grab the book that way, head over to www.patreon.com forward slash hawk and cleaver and support the show there. Until next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.